We have a... From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. We're broadcasting live from the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, the site of this year's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. By the way, the summit this evening will feature Ambassador Sam Brownback, Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was held in a Turkish prison for two years, Pastor Corey Brooks from the Project Hood in Chicago, Pastor Carter Conlon at Times Square Church in New York City. You can join us online by going to PrayVoteStand.org this evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, coming up on this edition of Washington Watch, Senate Democrats confirmed yesterday they plan to postpone any vote to codify a redefinition of marriage until after the midterm elections. Well, this is good news. It shows they they realize they don't have the public support they need, that is the Republicans. It's also a warning. It will be back in the lame duck session of Congress after the November election. Now, that means we've got to hold the line. We're going to talk more about that later. And Republicans in the House Freedom Caucus are urging their colleagues not to give Democrats an inch, or more accurately, a cent, in the push to expand government funding in the upcoming continuing resolution. We are asking those who would purport to lead us, those who are asking our support in the next Congress for speaker, for majority leader, for whip, and for conference chair to join us in opposing this spending by this Congress and not give one Republican vote for one cent to fund this tyranny. That was Congressman Bob Good of Virginia. We'll discuss all of this and more with Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss, who is a member of the House Freedom Caucus, and he spoke this afternoon here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit. And the White House is backing Vice President Kamala Harris's claim that the southern border is secure. Is the border secure? I, I'm just going to refer back to the vice president. We agree with her. She is saying that there's a lot of work to do, right? She also said that in that very statement. We agree that uh, the border is secure, but there is still more work to be done. That was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday, keeping a straight face when she said that, actually. Well, if the border is secure, then why are Democrat mayors like Chicago's Lori Lightfoot, who have been receiving migrants from Texas and Arizona, calling for help from the federal government? This is not a new challenge at the border, but this is a new uh, challenge for us. And we need federal support, resources, communication and collaboration. And that has to come in short order. Amazing. Uh, Everyone's been ignoring the crisis on the border until it wasn't actually on the border. It was in these sanctuary cities who were doing all this virtue signaling, saying, oh, we welcome everyone. Well, it sounds like they do have a communication problem. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And throughout our time here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit, we've been reminded of President Biden's repeated war cry that we're in a battle for the soul of America. But we must not forget that the spiritual battle we face is global. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted for their faith. We're going to discuss this with former ambassador at large for religious freedom, Sam Brownback, later on this edition of Washington Watch. And evidence here at home of this spiritual battle is the growing specter of crime and lawlessness. And while there is certainly measurable evidence that policies and political decisions impact the crime rate, the depth of the problem is beyond what an election can fix. The real battle, the real battle is waged in the human heart. Pastor Corey Brooks sees this every day in his inner city Chicago church. And he is here, and he's going to talk about that when he joins us later here on Washington Watch. And lastly, how can we expect the church to boldly stand for and proclaim the gospel if they're not hearing it from the pulpit? Some disturbing research indicates that has increasingly become the case. George Barna, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council, will join us to discuss these findings. The website is TonyPerkins.com, and to join us at the summit this evening, it's PrayVoteStand.org slash summit. The Word for today, coming from the Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, which can be found at TonyPerkins.com, is Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 the final chapter of the Book of Wisdom with a description of a virtuous woman. 
A woman of valor is really what it means. And this is our verse for today. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Like most of the scripture, this is counterculture. Uh, it's countercultural. What the world place, places its highest value on, God says it pales in comparison to what he values. And what God values will endure. Beauty, as the world defines it, is momentary at best. But lasting respect and loving affection is to the one who fears the Lord. Because the reverence for God produces an inner beauty that is evidenced in every aspect of one's life. To join us on this journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com, and I invite you to join me weekday mornings for a short devotional based upon the reading plan, which you can find also at TonyPerkins.com. All right, with Senate Democrats delaying a vote on what I call the Disrespect for Marriage Act until the midterm elections, uh, that means we've got some work to do. Also, Republicans on Capitol Hill are moving to prevent any vacuum from forming that would allow Democrats to push through their radical spending agenda. Yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, the House Freedom Caucus held a press conference calling on Republican leaders in the House and Senate to reject any attempts to pass a 2023 omnibus appropriations measure uh, this Congress. They say it needs to move into the next Congress. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Jody Heiss of Georgia. He serves on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, the House Committee on Natural Resources. He represents the 10th Congressional District here in Georgia. Congressman Heiss, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be with you, Tony. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here at the uh, the Prevote Stand Summit. Wow, what an incredible conference it is. It's just uh Nothing quite as inspiring as being with a group of people who are like-minded, who understand what's happening in our country, and they're engaged to make a difference. Well, and it makes it even nicer that it's close to home. Yes. It's not in Washington, D.C. extremely nice. I was actually able to drive here. So uh, that was a blessing. All right. Before we get into the, uh, the, the continuing resolution, the effort to spend government and spend money and uh, create the budget for the next government, uh, next Congress. I want to talk about the marriage, the Disrespect Marriage Act. Came out of the House. Forty-seven Republicans voted for it. The Senate about to take it up before the August break. They waited. Uh, now they realize people are opposed to this. The Democrats now saying, uh, we're not going to do it till after the election. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse, I guess. The, the great news is they're putting it off. They realize that this is a hot potato politically. Of course, you and I understand it's much more than a political issue. This will have ramifications that impact our country and our family uh, forever. I mean, this is a, a groundbreaking moment. But the uh, Senate is understanding that this is a major issue. And so it's good news that they're putting it off. And this gives the American people opportunity to contact their senators and put the pressure on them. Uh, you know, the bad news, uh, putting it off to after the election, I believe some of them are thinking after the election, uh, we can vote this thing in. And uh, at a minimum, we have two years for the American people to forget about right. it. So we've got to, we've got to play back. this wisely. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it's come back after the election. We've got to be paying attention to that. Something that Republicans Something else they don't want to come back after the election is a continuing resolution, which is uh, kind of inside language for a spending measure. Instead of doing budgets, they do these continuing resolutions. Republicans are calling for a clean, meaning a no increase in spending, uh, no additional riders, and it go into the next Congress so that there is no lame duck budget. Is that right? Yes, and that's extremely important for understand for people to understand why. If it goes into uh, next year, after the election, and after those who are elected come in, which is where it is. I mean, we're, we've got a hot potato that is is going to impact the next Congress and their decisions, how they're going to deal with spending. We need to give it to them. I mean, here we've waited all this time. We're just a couple of months away, uh, and we need to give it to the next Congress to deal with. If If that does not happen, which Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats want this to go into – what we call a lame duck session, which is after the election, but before all these people are uh, sworn in, then you have people who are exiting, people who really don't care. It's going to come right down to Christmas, and they'll put all kinds of horrible things in the I've seen, I've seen this movie before, and there's no accountability because these are individuals in a lame duck who 
many, as you said, are departing. And people don't realize in almost every congressional election, about a third of Congress changes. That's right. So you've got about a third of Congress that's going to be binding the nation in spending that will not have to stand before voters again. So no accountable. accountable. That's accountable. Right. And that's what makes this extremely dangerous. So we're pushing for this CR to be, as you described, without any extra stuff, a clean CR, no additional spending, no additional garbage being put in it. And let's take it into next year so that the next upcoming Congress can deal with our budgetary issues the way they need to deal with it. I want to switch gears to another topic, uh, immigration. We've talked about this this week on the program as the vice president was on the weekend show saying the border is secure. Of course, people laughing uh, at that comment. But uh, the kind of what the media is saying, an escalation in partisan tactics, uh, the AP reporting that the governor of Florida and Texas now sending uh, more of these migrants that are coming across the border into these, uh, quote unquote, sanctuary cities in Massachusetts. They're sending them uh, in various parts of the country. Uh, they've sent them to New York. I mean, so far you've had, uh, in fact, Governor DeSantis sent flights to Martha's Vineyards. And, uh, of course, the, the left going crazy about this. Governor Newsom saying the DOJ should investigate. I want to play a clip of uh, something the president said last night about this. Play clip number five, please. Instead of working with us on solutions. Republicans are playing politics with human beings, using them as props. What they're doing is simply wrong. It's un-American. It's reckless. Uh, reckless? Uh, isn't that not enforcing the law in enticing people to come across the border, risking their lives, advancing human trafficking, and allowing deadly drugs to cross the border? That's playing politics. That's un-American. That's reckless. And that's illegal. We have laws on the books to protect our borders. And this administration absolutely refuses to uh, defend our borders and to secure the borders. And it's, you know, it would be comical if this were not so real. But these Democrats are upset, and yet they're saying it's a secure border. And yet those who are coming across are being sent to them as like... I thought it was secure. But see, to me, that just epitomizes what they do. It's the gaslighting of America. They say one thing and they do another. Absolutely. And they've become masters at that. And listen, the the southern border is inexcusable what's happening there. The thousands, tens of thousands of lives that are being lost because of fentanyl coming across the border, not to mention the terrorists and criminals. Uh, it, It is shameful what's going on. The border absolutely is not secure it is less secure than it has ever been in the history of this You've country. You've been there many times. I've been to every sector of our southern border. I've seen it inside and out. It is a disgrace. It's horrifying what's happening in our southern border. And to this day, the president has not been there. The vice president has not been, have not been there. And yet they're saying, oh, it's secure. All is well. All is not well. And the, the work that uh, Governor Abbott is doing and DeSantis and others is simply uh, portraying right. What is actually happening? It's highlighting it for the American people to see. That's right. Congressman Jody Heiss, always great to see you. Thank you for being here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit and uh, for being a frequent guest here on Washington Watch. It's an honor to be with you, Tony. All Thank right. You it's so great much. to be in your home state. Great to have you here. People a little nicer here than they are D.C. Yeah, uh, there's no place. Listen. And we've got a live audience here. Let's, uh, you can't Fantastic. see them, but you can certainly hear them. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch. On the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by former Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback. That's coming up next here on this edition of Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. 
First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and we are broadcasting live from the First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, the site of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit, and we have a live audience as well. So you heard them on the way out, and they're still here. And uh, I tell you what, it's been great being here. First Baptist Church, Atlanta, a great uh, host for the summit. The summit's been wonderful. All of the messengers that have come in, and, of course, all our attendees and guests, it's just been tremendous. And uh, one of the uh, one of our speakers tonight, which, by the way, you can uh, watch, go to prayvotestand.org slash summit beginning at 7 p.m. Eastern time will be our night session is Ambassador Large for International Religious Freedom in the Trump administration, Ambassador Sam Brownback, and he joins me now here on Washington Watch. Sam, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Tony. Great to be here and great to be in the church that Charles Stanley built. It, I mean, I, this is a name I've heard for years, read. I mean, that's uh, that's really an amazing, great venue to be in. Well, and that's a great springboard for our conversation because, you know, this is about this church, Dr. Stanley, was about teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and a lot of times people think, well, you know, I don't want to get involved in politics. But when you look in the administration in which you served as ambassador large, and I was the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, the policy of the Trump administration in their foreign policy, their number one foreign policy objective was to advance international religious freedom. Uh, you chaired the first summit uh, the gathering of international leaders on that topic. That, not that the government was p- promoting the gospel or preaching the gospel, but they were opening the door and making it of making the world, I guess I would say, knowing that it's a priority for the United States that we be able to talk about religion and Christianity. Well, and it's not only that, the the human rights project around the world has been in decline for 20 years. We've been losing ground on human rights. And the administration decides, well, let's back up here and let's get back to basics. If you get religious freedom right, you will expand your right to assembly, your right right to free speech, your right really to be able to stand up to the government. And, of course, we know there's a body of evidence to say that countries have greater economic opportunity, greater stability socially, so it has a lot of benefits. And less genocide. Uh, And it's also, honestly, a way to differentiate from China. China is horrific on what they do to people of faith, all faith. They're at war with faith. And so it, it really, as China is trying to stand up and say, we have a system that's equal to open democracy systems, 
We're saying, no, it's nowhere near equal. This, this is a subjugation system that the Chinese Communist Party is doing to their entire country and seeks to put on the whole world. Yeah. And we've got to stand up to it. So to, to kind of go back to connection with Christians in America who say, you know, I don't want to get, you know, why do I get involved in politics? Well, elections have consequences and our ability to see doors open for religious, uh, the, the opportunity to be missionaries to other countries really is tied to our policy. Oh, know? it is. It is. I mean, if, if a country says, no, we're just going to close down to people of faith all over the world, like China's doing, like India is doing in a number of, in a number of other countries, it really limits your ability to, to be able to put those sort of messages out. And we're getting a lot of pressure on religious freedom in the United States. Right. That's another thing that's, that's happening is pressure here. But in the Trump administration, you have the ability to, or we, they did, promote it and, and have conversations with international leaders. Hey, this is a priority. I mean, I traveled the world. I saw that you saw that people realized that, hey, for America, this was a priority. And it changed and their policies. It changed their policy and it accomplished things. The Abrahamic Accords in the Middle East, which is bringing peace between Israel and several Islamic countries, would not have happened had there not been this engagement with people of faith. The Abrahamic Accords, by its very nature, is about we're going to engage people of faith, and you can't. And peace came out of it. This right. peace deal is a part of it. So, this is an accomplishment, and this is really a key way to go. And so many people they want to just ignore religion or people of faith, or they just want to say that was a bygone era. Eighty percent of the world's people identify with a right. faith, right? Right. And they move by and, that. And that puts us at a disadvantage when we have this view that faith is not important and keeping it out of our foreign policy, we're not able to communicate effectively with 80 to 90 percent of the, the world's population. And I found I could really negotiate and work well with a number of leaders of other faiths, Muslims, Hindus, others, because they saw me as a person of faith. Right. I understood what faith meant. It's a, it's a matter of the heart and the soul. We don't just operate by reason. You also operate by your heart. And it's something we've been talking about here at the summit, a biblical worldview, meaning that our lives are informed by and guided by our faith. A lot of the world, while they don't share Christianity, they live informed by and directed by their faith. And they really appreciate it that somebody else understands right. how they're operating instead yeah. of just saying, look, frankly, you're stupid. But we're operating by faith and you ought to just think all this stuff through. And, and it's really a condescending way to look at people. It's also an insightful way when you understand that people are guided by their faith because you can read their book and anticipate what they're going to do. You, it's really about understanding the person on the other side of the table. Who enters a negotiation without trying to understand who you're negotiating with? Do you want me to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we see quite a bit of that right yeah, now. Yeah, we do. Before we uh, run out of time, Ambassador, this, the state of religious persecution primarily for Christians around the world. What does it look like? Not good. You got most of the world has significant religious persecution taking place. You've got people getting killed. China is a whole category of what the future of oppression is going to look like because of the use of high technology and other things. But unfortunately, you just really got a, a declining situation. In Afghanistan, if you're of the minority faith right now, You've been either run out or killed or you're being hunted now. I mean, it, it's really gotten terrible after the U.S. withdrawal has taken place there. Well, Ambassador, I want to thank you for being here at the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. Thank you for joining me on Washington Watch. Thank you for your commitment to life and to these fundamental issues of religious freedom and look forward to hearing from you tonight. God bless you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, right. audience. All right, folks, don't go away because we're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. We're going to be joined by Pastor Corey Brooks of Chicago. He has Project Hood. What's that about? It's a pretty amazing story. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Glad you are with us on this Friday afternoon, and we are broadcasting live from First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, site of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit. And we've got a live audience. There they are. Grateful, grateful for First Baptist Church, doing a great job as the host. And by the way, you can tune in tonight to hear all of our guests, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org slash summit. For the third year in a row, violent crime, including homicide, robbery, and rape, has risen in America's major cities. And while there is measurable evidence that policies and political decisions impact the crime rate, the depth of the problem has gotten to a point that it's beyond what an election can fix. To get to the root of this lawlessness, we need a movement of spiritual revival in our country. Joining me now to talk about this is Pastor Corey Brooks. He's the founder and CEO of Project Hood, a Chicago-based ministry associated with his church in Chicago. He has a proven track record of stopping violence in one of the most violent communities in Chicago. Pastor Brooks, welcome to Washington Watch and to the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Thank you. I'm glad to be here tonight. All right. So uh, some know your story from uh, some of the news outlets you spent. Uh, in fact, you, you just took a little time off the roof uh, to come down. You're raising money for a community center. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what caught my attention is that t- tell us briefly about the community that you pastor in and what it looked like just a few years ago. Absolutely. Uh, 2014, the Chicago Sun-Times wrote an article called The Most Dangerous Block in All of Chicago, and they called it O-Block. O-Block named after a young man named O.D. Perry who was shot and killed, and the gangs picked up the O in his name and started calling it O-Block. That block just happens to be um, the block that our church is located on. And uh, we took offense to that. We decided that we're going to do something about it. We're going to work hard to transform the neighborhood. Uh, we decided to keep the O, um, but we decided to start calling it Opportunity Block. And uh, since that time, we've been transforming it. We've been offering programs. We've been dealing with uh, trying to reach uh, specifically guys in gangs to help them transform their lives. And now that community uh, where we are is no longer the most dangerous block. Matter of fact, we're not even in the top 30 of uh, the dangerous blocks in Chicago. So we're really excited about that. That's one top 30 you don't want to be in. Don't want to be in the top 30. So talk a little bit about how you've done that. I don't want to, yeah. you to give all of your speech away for tonight. I've heard you. I met you a month or so, a couple months mm-hmm. ago in Chicago. Um, just amazing story of seeing a problem and approaching it from your faith. Yes. 
So we decided as a church that we wanted a missions arm of our church to reach our neighborhood. So we created Project Hood. Hood stands for Helping Others Obtain Destiny. There's a little play on woods. Yeah, words. L- little little yeah, play okay. on Project, yeah, little right. play on Hood. We tried to put it together and bring something positive. And uh, we decided to get some programs that uh, are very much needed for our neighborhood. We took an analysis of what's needed. We looked at the problem and said, okay, we're not going to wait on uh, government to come in and fix it because so far it has not happened. Uh, so as the church, we're going to start being the light in the midst of darkness. We're going to be salt to the earth, and we're going to go roll our sleeves up and go to work. Isn't that what the scripture says to do? Absolutely. And uh, that's what we're trying to do, and that's uh, we're reaching a lot of people, and we're changing a lot of lives. See, I think the church has been crowded out by government. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the church has to be assertive in stepping back into its rightful arena. Yeah, we're we're working hard to make sure uh, that we have a place and that uh, we go by the thought that if our church were out of the neighborhood, would anyone notice? Because we realize that there are a lot of churches in a lot of neighborhoods and no one even knows that they're there. Well, we don't want that to be the story of our church. So we work real hard with individuals, try to get them to know Christ, try to get them to transform their lives and get them on a, a program and on a track or toward transformation. You came to the public's eye after a hotel across from a motel across from your church, which was kind of a, a crack house, yes. prostitution yes. place. You said that needs to go. Yeah. And you went up and you camped out on top of that motel for how long? Well, you're going to steal my thunder tonight. Oh, <laughs> but I'll tell you. Right, don't we, tell, tell anybody. All right. Yeah. Nobody that's listening, tell people tonight what he's about to say. So there was a sleazy motel across the street from our church. Prostitution, drugs, the gangs were using it. It was directly across the street. And we decided um, that we needed to get rid of it if we were going to transform the neighborhood. That was the first thing that needed to go. So I decided to go up on the roof of that motel, and I refused to come down. And uh, I ended up, I thought it was going to be a three-day stay, at most 21 days of fasting, but it turned out to be uh, 94 days on top of that roof in the winter of Chicago. And uh, the Lord blessed us after 94 days to raise enough money to purchase it and tear it down. And and there's there's part B. Yeah, that's there's part the two. the second yeah. part that, uh, that's coming that I'll, I'll let you share tonight. But talk about how, very good, we've just got about a minute left. How has this impacted your church by stepping out to minister to the community? It's helped our church to understand that we do have a place and that we can help to change our neighborhood. It's helped us to understand that we don't have to wait on government to come in and change our situation, that if we take responsibility and accountability for our neighborhood, we have the power with Jesus Christ to transform in ourselves. And that has been the most rewarding thing of all, seeing the members in our church be strengthened by that fact. So would you say that by serving, you've been empowered? By serving, we have definitely been empowered without a shadow of a doubt. Well, Pastor Corey Brooks, I want to thank you for coming to Atlanta to be a part of the Pray Vote Stand Summit. And I am looking forward to uh, hearing from you tonight. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thank you. Pastor Corey Brooks from Chicago, from Oblock. And uh, I want you to tune in tonight, and you can hear his amazing testimony of God's faithfulness, how he called him. He didn't tell you all the details. There's more about that story. It's an amazing story of what God will do if we will yield ourselves to him and obey, sometimes in difficult circumstances. But if we'll listen and obey, God will show up in a big way. So tune in tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, prayvotestand.org slash summit. All right, don't go away. On the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by George Barna. That's next here on this edition of Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make the difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We are here at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, with a live audience as we are here at the Prayboat Stand Summit. We uh, are in break, but we're not. We're actually on radio, but everybody else is on break. We will start back at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can join us. You can join us by going to prayboatstand.org slash summit. Well, for those of you who listen to Washington Watch on a regular basis, you know that one of the things I like to talk about is the research that is done in part, a lot of the research by George Barna, FRC Senior Fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview. I think data is so important, and, and I, I'd, I'd like to know what people are thinking, what motivates them. It helps us kind of communicate to help move them in the direction they need to go. And George has just done some really fascinating uh, research lately, and he was here today at the, at the Prayboat Stand Summit talking about it, and I've asked him to join us here on radio as well. George, thanks so much for sticking around and joining us here on Washington Watch. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to start. There's some, there's some good news and bad news. Uh, you've got some good survey information. You've got some bad survey information. So let's start with the bad news, okay? I want to end on a high note. Uh, you were doing some research on pastors and what they believe and what they're teaching, and frankly, some of it's alarming. Most of it's alarming, to be honest. Uh, you know, I mean, we looked at worldview issues with pastors because, of course, for the last few years, I've been looking at what is the worldview of Americans and finding that only 6% of adults in America have a biblical worldview only one out of every five people who regularly attend evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. So that's just about 20% of, of those who attend evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. Yeah, 21%. So, you know, it begs the question, well, what's going on in those churches? You know, because you would think if they're being taught biblical truth, they would embrace biblical truth or they wouldn't be going there. Right. So we looked at the worldview of pastors across the country. And what we discovered is that only 41% of senior or lead pastors have a biblical worldview. And that's the high watermark when you look at all the different pastors and churches. You look at associate pastors, it's around 28%. You look at teaching pastors, it's down to, I think it was 13%. Children's and youth pastors, 12%. Executive pastors, 4%. I, 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 I struggle with that, George. Um, if you're a teacher, let's just take a teacher, and you don't have a biblical worldview, what do you see the Bible as? A helpful guidebook. 
but not something to, to, to give direction and inform your life. Yeah, they, w- they would not say, well, it contains absolute moral truth. It contains truth principles for life. They would say it contains great ideas that over the course of time have been revered by But it's not people, authoritative. But it's not authoritative. It's not necessarily true, but it's something to consider. Well, along those lines, 39% of evangelical pastors, according to your survey, said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. Is that? Am I reading that right? You're reading it right. And again, when we look at different churches across the spectrum, not just evangelical churches, but all the different Christian churches in the country, the numbers get even worse in many of the other denominations. But, but this is evangelicals. Well, yeah. I mean, Jesus so, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus didn't equivocate on that. It's pretty clear. We live right now in a culture where everything's being redefined. And sadly, the, the notion of being an evangelical no longer necessarily means, I believe that the Bible is God's true, relevant, and reliable word for my life. So what's it mean? It means that it's a document that we can consult for some good ideas. But, but that changes the definition of evangelical. Sure does. So we're, we're having to use different terms now to define what someone who sees the word as the authoritative word of God, revealed word of God, that gives direction to our lives that we must yield to. And I think for people who are looking for a church, people who want God's word, to be the authoritative guide for their life. It warns us you can't trust labels in our culture right, anymore. Right, right. Those are radically changing. Well, you've seen that coming for a long yeah. time. We've yeah. talked about that uh, quite a bit. In fact, going back almost 10 years ago, we began to see that the term evangelical was like silly putty. You could just twist it and make it into anything you wanted. The media loves to use that, especially when it can be used in a pejorative or negative sense. So in doing work, you came up with, and we've adopted, and we've been using it, a a term called spiritually active governance-engaged conservatives, which more clearly defines those that see the Scripture as something that should inform our actions in our lives. Right. It's a group of people who are driven by their faith. Their faith is so important that they believe all the choices that they should be making must come back to what they believe, what they believe based on the Bible. And so one of the things that they believe is that we are called by God to be a source of influence in every dimension of the world, every dimension of life, including politics and government. And therefore, we can't just sit back and have opinions about politics, but we have to be active. We have to try to influence the thinking of other people as well based on what we believe the scriptures teach us about how to live, about the issues, about the kinds of leaders that we ought to be electing. So a sage con is one who operates in the takes the world on based upon he's motivated by his faith to engage, whether that's politics, whether, you know, probably dictates the kind of purchases they make mm-hmm. and the movies they watch and, and all of that. The kinds of schools their kids go right. to. Right. So it, it is really, they're in, it's engaged. Yes, it's a full life yes. impact. So that's about 9% of the adult population. Right. So that'd be about 23 million Americans. And in the last election, according to your research, uh, 14% of voters were sage cons. Um, so they're 9% of the population, but they were 14% of the vote. But uh, of Donald Trump's vote, they were roughly 30, 31%. Yeah, they were close to a third of his support base. That's quite significant. It certainly is. I mean, that, that would suggest to me that a Republican cannot win a, an election without sage con support. That is true. And sage cons also, according to your research, turn out at the highest level percentage-wise than any other segment of society. In 2020, when we looked at the turnout for Sage Cons, it was 99%. Now, you can't get much higher than that. But again, what it shows is that these people are serious about their faith and their faith's connection to everything. And so they're, they're probably not as shaken by the advertising and by the attacks because they don't vote based upon personality or on party. They vote based upon primarily, I would say, the, the policies that align with biblical their biblical beliefs. 
And this is a group of people, again, these are things that we've researched. They do their homework to a much greater degree and a much deeper level than the typical voter does. And, and I would venture to say that a lot of their neighbors and family ask them for guidance because they do do the research. So when we talk about sage cons being 31% of the Trump vote, more of the Trump vote actually came from the influence of sage cons. Right. So, so you talk about, yeah. you know, the fact that you really can't win without this group. That's absolutely true because of the range of their influence. So folks, I got a question for you. Are you a sage con? And, I got a tool for you. Uh, you can actually find out. You can take a survey, a SageCon survey, to determine whether or not you are a SageCon. Text the word SageCon. That's S-A-G-E-C-O-N. That's SageCon. S-A-G-E-C-O-N to 67742. That's 67742. Text the word SageCon. You'll get a link to take a survey. Ten questions, right, George? Yes, sir. And that will determine whether or not you are, give you a good indication whether or not you are a SageCon. And we'll follow up with a report on that survey. So, again, that's SageCon to 67742 to take the survey. All right, George, what other key findings in the survey of pastors? Well, one of the ones that really disturbed me is because we know a person's worldview develops when they're a child right. between the ages of 15 to 18 months and 13 years of age. When we looked at children's pastors and found that only 12% yeah. of them have a biblical worldview because you can't give what you don't have. We know those children are very vulnerable, but they're not if, getting what they need. If I were a senior pastor, I mean, based on the, the data that now is quite extensive that you've put together on, the, on biblical worldview, that would be an area that I would immediately begin to focus on children's pastors and equipping parents because parents are key in this of instilling that biblical worldview and building it in their children. And earlier this year, we did a big national survey, you may remember, because we've talked about it, with parents of children under the age of 13, only 2% of them have a biblical worldview. So once again, there's a tremendous area for growth. If churches want to make a difference in the world, start equipping parents. It, it's part of their biblical responsibility. And I know it's separate research, but I was reading this week, the Pew research just came out about uh, the projections for 2070, what the, the Christian population in America would look like. And of course, a part of that is the transference of religious conviction or values from one generation to the next. Of course, they, they use different standards, but the points are still the same. You can't pass on what you don't have. And if pastors want their churches to grow and not die in the next generation, they need to be focusing on children and getting uh, those children developed with a biblical worldview. And as you know, we're going to be working with FRC to do research with children during the coming three or four months to figure out, so what is the worldview that they're in the process of developing so that we can foresee what some of the challenges are that we're facing? We know that fewer and fewer parents in America even believe in the existence of God. So the most basic things, you know, when they're rejecting the existence of God, they're rejecting Christ as a Savior, they're rejecting the Bible as truth, these are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. We've got to get back to those right. basics. And, and we could be overwhelmed with this data and say, oh, my gosh, the, you know, the ship is sinking. But, you know, just as we had Pastor Corey Brooks here living in one of the most violent communities in Chicago, they didn't wave a white flag. They said, we got to do something. And, and that's where we are. We've got to do something, and we're developing the tools to do it. But we've got to be intentional about it. And that's the reason why you do research. It's no different than yeah. a business. They don't look at their market share and say, oh, my goodness, we're, we're lowest on the totem pole. Let's just go out of business. They say we need a new strategy so that we can increase our market share. And that's essentially the task that lies before the church. Now, I want to switch gears to another survey that you did, which is, is unrelated, but it reveals really, I think, some very encouraging news that – you know, we dust off, you know, some of the debris kind of, you know, we're halfway like like uh, Nehemiah building the uh, the wall. They got discouraged with all the debris. We've got to clean away some of the debris, but we've got a foundation to work with, don't we? We do. Uh, this was a study that we did with America's One where we were looking at the core values of Americans. We tested 48 different values and we found that far and away the value that people, uh, eight out of 10 people said they're willing to die to protect 
they're willing to fight to defend it, they're willing to sacrifice to retain it, is family. Family is the focal point of the lives of most Americans, and they're willing to do whatever they need to do to make sure that their family is safe and secure and capable of growing. And we talked about that earlier today here at the summit that, I mean, that is God's created order. And, and of course, we, they may not recognize it as that, but it's, it's just, it's inherent in us as human beings that God has created that. That was one of the, uh, the first institutions that God created was the family. And I think this has tremendous implications for so much of what goes on in our culture. Because right now, if we were to take the political sphere, when a candidate runs for office, he or she talks all about issues mm-hmm. as if that's the basis on which we should be choosing that candidate, as opposed to, no, 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 I'm the voter. What matters to me is my family. My lens is, what are you going to do for my family? So don't talk to me about things that don't directly affect me. Talk to me directly about my family. And so that's a whole different way of thinking about communicating to voters and how we choose our elected officials. Well, because especially as conservatives, we're um, prone to cite statistics and numbers. And you know what? It's hard to relate those numbers to our families. But if we begin to look at these policy issues from the perspective of how it impacts our families, all of a sudden we get the attention of voters. Yeah, and and I think one of the things that this survey also showed us is that while so much of mainstream media loves to talk about polarization and the division and the disunity, the fact is when we look at the values that Americans hold, there's probably more that unites us and divides us. So do you think we can have some conversations based upon the family on some very difficult topics that have divided the nation if we take it from the standpoint of the impact upon individual families? Absolutely. And I, I think that's one of the directions that this is pointing us in is that Americans haven't given up on life. They haven't given up on themselves. They want to be good people. They want moderation. They're not looking for radical changes left and right. That's one of the things that, that we found in this study is they said, you know what, we want stability. We don't want constant change. Things can be good, but we need leaders who understand how to make it that way. All right, George Barna, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being here at the Pray Vote Stand Summit and once again for being on Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. All right, and folks, I want to thank you for joining us. Again, if you'd like to take the survey to determine whether or not you're a SAGECON, well, text the word SAGECON, that's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, to 67742, 67742, the word SageCon. You'll get a link to take the survey, and then uh, you'll get the, res- the results back from that survey. Tune in tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, for the final session of the Pray Vote Stand Summit here at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Great lineup of speakers tonight. You won't want to miss it. PrayVoteStand.org slash summit 7 p.m. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 